0: Hello everyone, welcome to Risk Roundup. While blockchain technology that uses cryptography and a distributed messaging protocol to create shared ledgers among counterparties brings transformative potential and benefits to nations and all its components is being held as one of the most revolutionary and disruptive technological advances of today, it still faces many complex technical challenges. So what are these technical challenges and can any of them be addressed through the development of blockchain standards? To discuss the technical challenges facing blockchain and the need for blockchain technical standards further, I'm delighted to welcome Rob Hitchens to Risk Roundup. Rob is a blockchain advisor and is based in Canada. Welcome Rob, we are honored to have you on this Roundup.
1: Thank you, Thank you for, for having yeah, me. It's a real pleasure to be here today.
0: Wonderful, Rob. So across nations today, there are thousands and thousands of startups and uh, innovators that are coming up with new ideas of using blockchain technology to disrupt nations and all its components. And they're coming up with really good uh, applications uh, uh, initiatives. So while blo- while the blockchain technology has transformative potential and despite the great excitement in the startup community, what are the concerns regarding the technology that is still preventing its widespread adoption?
1: Um, Blockchain is widely recognized as a potentially potent and disruptive principle. I think we're in the early stages of exploring the potential applications and optimizing implementation i'd even say that blockchain enables new possibilities and this means carefully considering what we should even want to use it for
0: yes That is very true. That's uh, exactly the key question that each uh, innovator or each nation or each uh, component of a nation needs to ask that why do we need to use blockchain and where can we use blockchain to come up with effective solution to the current problems of the systems that we are facing across nations. So that is a very good point that you made there. So as we evaluate the current state, what are the technical problems with blockchains? That prevents them to be limitless or free of deficiencies, weaknesses, and vulnerabilities, uh, or you know, it prevents them to be scalable. So, what kind of technical challenges do you see innovators facing all across nations?
1: Well, my goodness, that's a a, a lot to a, a lot to unpack. Um, I don't believe that mankind has ever produced anything widely regarded as limitless and free of deficiencies or uh, a, a perfect piece of technology. And this is partly owing to the limitations of our technology, but I would also argue that usually there's no consensus about what perfection would even look like. So, for example, blockchain brings the issue of trust to the forefront. Architects conscientiously place trust where they think trust should be. And there's a possibility of replacing processes and organizations with more trustworthy machinery. And some people find that very desirable. Others may be very leery about the possibility of removing human oversight. So this leads to some very interesting discussions about the ideal approach to any given problem domain. It's not uncommon to find the challenges ahead are philosophical, sociological and ethical as well as technical. Yes. I feel I would be remiss if I did not stress that if one wishes to induce others to place 100% trust in an immutable piece of software, and that piece of software requires the utmost care and attention to detail. And the burden of proof rests with the people who encourage other people to trust software
0: completely. Yes, I hear your point and you made an excellent point because I hear this question, you know, wherever I travel also. People say that, you know, these smart contracts are emerging and this, the code, the algorithm that is behind that is bringing so much trust. And I think about it and I tell them that... I mean, specifically talking about uh, smart contracts, that it's a contract management uh, uh, innovation. So, in the initial, I mean, currently we are using paper and pen to you know sign contracts, and that, and we have a whole ecosystem around it that uh, gives that has uh, that is giving the trust. To everyone who is a part of those contracts or who is signing the contract, that those contracts will be uh, valid and you know those contracts are going to be honored by the ecosystem that is uh, within that nation. So, just by replacing that paper and pen and just by you know changing how we uh, write contracts and we are instead of uh, paper and pen, we are now using uh, trying to use computer algorithm. The entire ecosystem around that doesn't disappear or doesn't become. Solid. We still need an effective ecosystem that can provide trust. And that means that we still need the human you know, factor involved in each of these transactions to give effective trust. So both these uh, points that you made about the trust as well as the uh, you know, uh, human factor, that I, I still feel that even though we may change the way we do a lot of things, that humans will still play an essential role uh, for many of these uh, systems, new systems that we are trying to redefine and redesign. And that's where the trust will be able to, you know, originate. That yes, there is someone behind the scene, or there is someone who is going to be accountable who will be honoring these transactions as it happens. Because we cannot see the computer code, we don't know who is behind that. So it is going to be dif- extremely difficult for anyone to just you know tr- uh, trust those kind of transactions where we don't have an effective structure framework uh, and systems and human factor involved. So you made a very good point. And uh, th- I think there is a, also this uh, the primary design structure of many of these existing system is a linear linked uh, style blockchain. So I believe that as adoption increases of blockchain uh, technology, and as we try to develop more applications, the most many, many more miners will be attracted to the system depending on how the uh, blockchain system is designed or blockchain application is designed. And that's where, you know, many of the uh, scalability challenges will come in because of the way these uh, algorithms and because of the way the blockchain uh, technology is, you know, operating right now. Uh, So there are a lot of complex challenges emerging. And as a First generation blockchains have established a base programming ecosystem, but the question is whether that is sufficient for the applications that are emerging. Do you think it is sufficient with the current uh, parameters that we have around the blockchain technology?
1: Well, oh, okay, <laughs> there's a there's a fair bit to unpack there. Um, I think maybe if I can break it down uh, in, into a few separate concerns here. Uh, I've I've never personally been a big fan of the term uh, smart contracts because um, it, it just seems like a, a, a phrase that was around at the time. Uh, from a marketing standpoint, it's it's been very successful. It's catchy; people remember it. Um, but the the fact of it is that they 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 are not smart. They are um, uh, they're they're machines, and they're they're idiomatic in in uh, in design. Uh, and they 're not contracts in the legal sense of the word um, also they're 're computer software that doesn 't generally naturally map to the way that say a legal contract would be constructed uh, and they and they they map more uh, more in terms of uh, how one would describe a stateful network protocol uh, so it's a long way from a a, a legal contract but there's a few things that that have everyone excited. Um, one is that you know, for for thousands of years, I think at least at least centuries, uh, contracts have been sealed with a, a signature, uh, which is basically a, a squiggly line on a piece of paper that supposedly only you can replicate, and it, it's it's kind of quaint. And uh, we have at our disposal now. Uh, very, very solid uh, cryptographic, mathematical, well-understood, well-proven systems that are very strong signatures that show that, okay, someone signed something and they have a property of non-repudiation. So we can be very sure that someone with a private key has signed the transaction into existence. Um, We also have, through blockchain, uh, smart Contract. There's that word again. Uh, these 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 platforms. We have the ability to make serverless software. Uh, so these are stateful systems with uh, no centralized storage, and we can release immutable rules into these systems, and understand that uh, these these systems are going to keep executing without any further help from us. And this is really interesting to people because uh, they they see that. Uh, they can they can look at a smart contract, understand what it does, and have assurance that no departure from those rules will ever be permitted. So that that idea of certainty and assurance is uh, is, is very appealing on a lot of levels. I think we have struggled uh, as an industry to find the vocabulary to describe this kind of stuff, and so terms like trustless have been tossed around. And it's not really trustless, but really what one is doing, in my opinion, is designing for where one wants to place the trust. So, uh, for example, uh, if there's an intermediary involved or an escrow agent involved and one is placing their trust in an escrow agent, uh, if one is uh, putting their trust in a fully automatic system, then what is implied here is that one is trusting the machinery of that fully automatic system uh, implicitly. And it turns out that in a lot of scenarios we don't really want to place one hundred percent of the trust in machinery we uh, there there are very good reasons uh, for wanting some measure of human oversight the ability to intervene the the uh, ability to deal with issues like probate or uh, court orders that sort of thing uh, and so what we end up doing is talking about the degree to which we want to reintroduce some degree of recentralization uh, in order to uh make a solution that's suitable for all
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, You made a very interesting point that even though our efforts are towards decentralization and we want to remove all the middlemen, we still need some sort of governing structure because there is always going to be issues, you know, no matter what kind of system we are trying to redefine or redesign, there needs to be a governing body. Otherwise, uh, if you see the blockchain, that 51% rule, I mean, we all know that if 51% of the miners, you know, try to enter... uh, wrong information, wrong data in it, then it will uh, become, you know, the wrong information will enter into the system as something valid. And uh, the, it will be very difficult for us to overturn that or change it. So there are a lot of serious drawbacks of just trusting the computers or compu- uh, miners. Uh, we do need to come up with some sort of oversight so that we can prevent those kind of uh, issues emerging from uh, the system, the technical challenges that we have, uh, with the blockchain system currently now the uh, although the adoption of this blockchain technology promises so many benefits with regard to i mean it will it will make our systems very productive efficient and uh, very quick in how it responds to whatever task is on hand and hopefully it will reduce cost there are there are some growing concerns that it's very it is becoming expensive uh, the transaction cost is increasing as well as that it is very expensive to initially put blockchain software in place. So why? what is the reason behind that? Why is it so expensive to build a blockchain uh, system if, let's say, you know any corporation wants to, or a, let's say industry sector wants to redefine how they are doing certain things, that it's very, very expensive for them to put together the whole uh, system.
1: Okay, again, there's <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a, a, a lot to unpack there. Um, uh, I don't. I don't agree with with all of the assumptions, but I. I, I think this is because we're making some some broad generalizations here. Um, it might be helpful to think of a given application space in terms of uh, what needs to be proven, and who, who needs to prove something, and who do they need to prove it to, and. What I, uh, in my work at B9 Lab with, with students, one of the things that, um, certainly for the, uh, maybe the first third, the first half of the, of the training, uh, much of this is about breaking down the assumptions that they bring from experience with, uh, server-centric systems. Because it, it does not make sense in a, a paradigm uh, of thinking of these systems as a one-to-one replacement for server logic, or a one-to-one replacement for database, or a one-to-one replacement for traditional storage, it's, this is something entirely different. And what we are—the the systems are based on proof, and they are—they are based on proofs at a very, very fundamental level. And then, blockchain systems build up proofs to more abstract and elaborate um, constructions. But it turns out that when we talk about what do we need to prove and and who do we need to prove it to, um, it it turns out that the whole scope of the application generally does not rise to that level of requiring proof. And and so we see, well, we we can accomplish all of that kind of stuff with traditional technology. So um, there is, for example, um, a strong case to be made that when it comes to the money itself, uh, and, you know, I, I, I would say I, I don't like always referring to Bitcoin, but it was first and it's the most well known, right? People don't want human oversight. They don't want the money in their pocket to simply vanish. They, they want it to be censorship resistant and they want it to in, endure and they, they don't want a system administrator to have any power to intervene over that. So it was designed specifically to be free of, of governance and, uh, if, if if that is a design goal, uh, then then that's that's how you you design things. And there there are examples of that in the world of smart contracts and and, and other scenarios where we say no, the the actual correct way to approach a given problem is to not vest th- uh, that type of authority in anywhere in particular. In in other cases where we do want human oversight, then what we end up doing is saying well. These things that would, you know, at a uh, at a, a company owned system, we would give that to the system administrator and that would be the end of it. When we're talking about systems that are designed to prevent the formation of um, concentration of, of an imbalance of power, if you like, uh, a, a group of trading partners or or, or nations or banks or, or what have you. Uh, if, if they do want that ability to intervene, for example, okay, then what they end up doing is designing a governance process that's agreeable to them. And then what ends up happening is uh, that governance process itself, uh, the, you know, uh, how how is the committee formed, how does secession work, et cetera, uh, that's what ends up getting codified in the smart contracts so that and it's like a constitution, if you will, so that no departure from the governance process is allowed. And this gets very elaborate because it may include such factors as how do we upgrade the governance process itself? So what if we're not smart enough to anticipate every possible future scenario that we want to be able to react to? In that case, then how will the members agree on an update uh, an upgrade Uh, of the protocol itself or an upgrade of the governance pro How will we amend the constitution? And these are really interesting things because as software designers, uh, we don't typically uh, get into this realm, but blockchain systems that are involved in, uh, it's really about Alice to prove something to Bob, and Bob needs Alice to prove, you know, Bob needs to prove something to Alice and uh, the, the easiest model to think about is an escrow into or something that solves the problem of us involving not knowing each other. Uh, in the case of uh, uh, disintermediating that I- exchange, right, then things have to rise to the level of being proven. Now, in, in a simple sense, you can prove that uh, if... if Alice and even Bob and Alice to security. The end. Right? very simple. Um, in a more complex arrangement, one might have to prove that it a similar exchange takes place, but also very transparently, where everyone can see it is a body of human oversight and and perhaps individuals who are accountable. And a policy says that uh, we will intervene in the in the case of uh, probate or court order or something of that nature.
0: So so, uh, based on your understanding, what you have seen, is there an ideal example of a smart contract? Where you have seen the effective integration of the laws of that particular industry or that nation, and that you know that it, that it has been scalable has has it been effectively implemented any of this smart contract the integration of the laws of that particular nation
1: oh i think I think you're we 're way ahead of ourselves because the the laws of nations are quite complex, and uh, that would be a big that that would be a big project. Uh, I I would say um, that what you would see are uh, systems of ex- exchange and other applications where the um, the some measure of accountability and centralized control is there. Um, very popular pattern is for people to create something on a public network and say that uh, initially the creators will have stewardship over certain parameters that they're not certain about how to calibrate over the long term and perhaps a, a, a roadmap for um, replacing themselves with uh, a governance process over time. Uh, other cases, the at platform level you have things like eos like corda uh the hyperledger projects etc that are meant to be used by parties who come together where there already is trust with the the you know uh, say and an network of banks come together and they already recognize who is who so uh anonymity is not an issue uh and and they can say okay uh we're going to start with governance and and build on our, our application from there.
0: Yes, that makes sense. That makes sense. So now in for any industry or any corporation, for them to make a move to a blockchain-based system, they will either need to completely overhaul their previous system or find a way to integrate their existing system with the blockchain solution. So do you see that the blockchain at this point is able to, or will be able to handle all the business functions or industry functions needed by, you know, the corporation, organization or industry, you know, whoever is uh, trying to do those changes?
1: Well, I think uh, these projects need to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. Um, I I personally don't believe there should be a, a crusade to, uh, blockchain, everything as soon as possible. I, I think you you look at a specific application and uh, you say, okay, does this does this save money and uh, or does it open new business opportunities? Uh, so, for example, I've uh, looked at uh, the insurance industry and uh, have looked at the just internal. Uh, the work process of processing claims, uh, adjusters, etc., and figured out we might have about a 15% improvement uh, without radically redesigning anything. It's just taking the processor already there and go for it. Um, turns out worldwide that's a multi-billion-dollar-a-year uh, solution. That's very compelling, and it's actually non-disruptive. Uh, at the end, uh, uh, you have entirely new things popping up, in a, and a lot of this stuff is experimental. And, and um, I, I would probably try to stay away from future forecasts. But I, I think I'm safe to say that most of the experimentation won't work. But you occasionally get something, like what Uber did to uh, the taxi cab industry, and that that is not simply taking what was there before and making it go faster, but rather imagining an entirely different business model uh, based on different structures that, that this kind of technology can enable.
0: No, I understand that it makes sense. So, now I mean, uh, there are a lot of concerns emerging that it probably will be very difficult to eradicate the legacy systems. I think that's one of the problems that many of these uh, uh, industries and corporations are facing. That you know, and uh, it makes sense that you know, it won't be possible to completely probably eradicate legacy system. It will have to be a phase wise approach, you know, maybe down the road, you know, after in a decade or something, we'll be able to reach that endpoint. But at this Point probably will not be able to eradicate legacy systems and uh, be able to put all our business processes, uh, you know, on the blockchain. So, we will see, you know, as time goes and as more experiments uh, uh, are done and more applications emerge and more uh, innovators and startups try to solve these problems, uh, it will be interesting to see how they uh, solve these complex challenges. But there is also another concern that the uh, the, any of this consensus mechanism on, on blockchain, uh, the, it, it, there is a huge amount of power consumption. Power consumption for any of the blockchain transactions. So, how much power do you see that an average blockchain transaction require uh, for it to conduct? You know, irrespective of whether it's a blockchain within a national nation's boundaries or is it, uh, you know, it goes through. Across nations' boundaries, what what are the variables that impacts the energy consumption or the power consumption?
1: Mm, there's, a there's a bunch going a bunch on, on there. there. Um, when I look at the different blockchain platforms, um, basically what is what has happened is it's 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 as though we've discovered electricity or we've discovered fire. It's it's, it's quite useful. It's it's not useful for all things, but it is multi-purpose. Um when uh, Bitcoin first came out, um, it was the first, and, and basically the principle that was demonstrated there was that a vast network of computers that do not know or trust each other can nevertheless reach a consensus about something very important, and they can do that in a very convincingly reliable way. So this eventual consensus, uh, is, it's strong enough it's strong enough that you're going to have hundreds of billions of dollars locked up, uh, protected by nothing but uh, the blockchain principle, and um, that's really interesting because it's it's strong enough then that it can stand in as a substitute for currency. And I, I sometimes describe it as it's these, these is this, this will turn your world inside out because blockchain truths are like factors in the environment. It's like a big spreadsheet in the sky and you look up and you see the moon and the stars and a few things like that. And people who don't observe the same things that you see are are not simply a difference of opinion. They're just they're just wrong. The first demonstration of this principle was based on brute force and a majority. So the the idea that an attacker cannot distort the facts. Uh, and as with any fault tolerance system, it has a known uh, threshold where uh, the assurances begin to fail in this brute force proof of work system that Bitcoin uses uh, the failure point is when uh, a major- the, the, the requirement is that a majority of the nodes have to be honest right so forty nine percent of them are under attack uh, or forty nine percent of them are in collusion and launch an attack uh, this will not work. Um, But when they get a majority of the network, then all all assurances are gone. But it actually is not uh, quite that simple um, in terms of security, because the other 49% of us are going to notice that this happened. and uh, We're going to notice that there was this coordinated attack. Uh, It would be very hard to conceal such a thing. And we're in, we're under no obligation to pay any regard whatsoever, uh, to the attack. So even in the case of a 51% attack, the odds of actually getting away with anything valuable are practically zero because the other 49% of the people will just decide to, well, let's ignore them. They're, they're all criminals. We're going this way and following the truth. So it's not even, it, the, the, the actual attack vector becomes even harder to uh, to visualize um, now I, I would suggest perhaps inadvertently uh, the mining process has resulted in industrial scale uh, mining operations because what what proof of work basically does is use uh, brute force computing power as a as a substitute for accountability so if it wasn't for the unaccountable, anonymous participants in a public network, right? If there was accountability, then there would be no need for for proof of work. And there would be no need for a Bitcoin because there would be no need for a financial incentive to do the right thing. And there would be no point to a financial punishment for doing the wrong thing right? So the network needed this to coordinate everybody's activity economically and say, you should all go this way and do the right thing. What that has done, and I I really don't think this is on purpose, but it has inspired uh, the construction uh, of of ASICs, for example, that are dedicated to solving this problem. And it has created mining that Migrates to wherever it can find cheap and plentiful electricity, because the critical success factor uh, is cheap power. So what you end up with is you end up with quite large mining operations, like like many like large. Um, but I, I and I think that gets headlines and the, and maybe may, may seem a little bit alarming, but again, um, unexpected consequences here, and I. I take a more positive view to this, uh, because w- w- what it's actually doing is it's, it's mostly migrating toward there to, uh, areas where there's excess power that would otherwise be dumped, and saying, well, here, here's a way to monetize it. And it's inspiring R&D in novel areas, like waste heat recovery, uh, waste energy recovery from all kinds of processes. It basically says, here's a shortcut to monetizing Whatever you can do, so you have now you have people exploring all kinds of energy recovery systems that they would not normally do because they would not be able to find market. Now they're able to say, yeah, as long as you can make the wheel go around, make electricity, then you plug the Bitcoin miner into it, and money comes out. That that really simplifies matters. Consider. Uh, The other factor is that um, people who've seen the formation of these consensus mechanisms uh, have have realized that maybe proof of work is not the only way that similar assurances can be achieved. And One of the differentiating factors between all different blockchains out there is how they uh, achieve a consensus, what algorithm they use to achieve a consensus, and uh most of them i'd, I'd say a, ma- a majority of them are reintroducing uh some factors of uh trusted actors or uh, uh trusted validators or things of that nature uh to make the system go faster uh or for example uh in ethereum they're experimenting with proof of stake uh which is basically substituting a financial bond uh, that is bound to good behavior. So basically, now instead of brute force, uh, what you have is everybody in a room and people put up a bond that, uh, for conversation's sake, think, think in orders of magnitude upwards of $100,000. And you, you, you have every other witness in the room observing every move. And every time the node makes a move which is not in agreement with the rest of the room, uh, they slash the stake. So there's a, an immediate financial punishment for not following protocol.
0: Yes. Yes. And this are.
1: very efficient
0: Yes, I, I believe you because, I mean, it there is not, it's not necessary that we go through the mining operations only to get that kind of consensus. I, the proposal that we have put together, it's also, you know, involves, there is no mining involved in that. It involves uh, security council layers at different levels depending on the nation and, uh, what kind of risk, you know, that is, uh, we are trying to uh, manage. So it, there are, like you said, there are many different ways, but the biggest challenge, I mean, is to how to bring uh, accountability into human action and decision. And that, I mean, even though there is, there are many ways to do that, to make that as a, you know, embedded into human behavior, that is the biggest, you know, complex challenge we are facing. And I'm sure that we are trying to, by giving financial incentives and all kinds of uh, uh, different processes that we are coming up with, uh, we are trying to change the human behavior, but it's still going to be very, very difficult, you know, going forward. But uh, let's move on to talk about the, uh, how, if, What is the role of the network size? Because it's said that large, there are many who say that large number of users are essential or miners are essential for any blockchain to be effective. So from your experience and your observation, what you have seen across nations, how critical is the network size for blockchain based system to be successful?
1: Um, that depends on the consensus mechanism. Uh, so, for example, you can have a very successful private network with a, uh, with, with millisecond transaction times and very high capacity. Um, and the way you might do it is you might say that all all, all the banks, uh, maybe they're even co-located at the same data centers, they're all gonna have low latency connections between each other. And the minimum threshold for participation is a lot of RAM, a lot of firepower so that you don't slow the network down. And effectively, you can approximately go as fast as you want. Uh, you also don't need a large network because you have accountability and they'll they'll work on systems such as uh, a, a validator at each participant in a round-robin process and you know, for example uh or a byzantine fault tolerant systems or any any misbehaving node simply be ejected from the uh, from the network there's really no minimal uh, critical mass for such a thing it'll, it'll just work um in the public networks that rely On proof of work, then, uh, no question, uh, the more participants, the more, uh, computing power is involved, the higher the threshold for a 51% attack. That we always, always goes back to what 51%. Well, I need, I need 51% of the firepower. How, how much is that? Uh, well, it's 51% of whatever's there. So the bigger the thing that's there, uh, the larger the scale the attack would. Would have to be so uh, small experimental networks that uh, rely on proof of work are very vulnerable because actors with a lot of compute power can come along and push them around, if you like. Uh, and, uh, but but then again, uh, uh, networks with the kind of um, proof of work power as uh, Ethereum and, and Bitcoin, for example, uh, brute force would require considerable
0: effort yes yes no, I hear you it make uh, you make a good point there now there are uh, growing concerns let's talk about the cost of each transaction on the blockchain I mean for people say that for some time Bitcoin and all that uh, there was you know the transaction cost, was almost none. It was almost near free, you know, for the first few years of its existence. But now that, you know, the transaction costs are going up, what is the reason behind that? Why is the transaction cost going up? Well,
1: uh, one of the things that is perhaps a little bit counterintuitive, at, at, at least it was to me when I first encountered Bitcoin um, way, way uh, back in the day was, I intuitively thought that uh, the, as the network grew, it would increase in capacity. Uh, and what I uh, subsequently discovered was that uh, performance doesn't scale with size, um, its resilience scales with size. It's, its performance is stuck at a, a, a finite number of transactions per second, and it's not going to increase no matter how much hardware is thrown at it under the rules of the uh, current protocol and so um, basic economics says that um, value or or funds flow to whatever is scarce and there is a scarcity of carrying capacity at the transaction level that's that's built in so there there are all kinds of uh, surrounding scalability solutions uh around that but what you also see, uh, in parallel to that, is that the, at the time that people were talking about Bitcoin transactions being nearly free, they were also talking about Bitcoins themselves being nearly worthless. And uh, nowadays, um, if, if someone, well, the, 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 the folklore says that someone paid 11,000 Bitcoins for a, a pizza, so that was a very expensive pizza by, by, uh, by today's standards. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no. yes, <it> <laughs> uh, yeah, and and so it's there are there are lots of we we have a similar thing going on with ethereum where uh, transactions are processed according to uh, the 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 price of a transaction is is the computational weight multiplied by bid that the user attaches to the transaction. So this is the user's way of pricing the priority that they wish to associate. So big transactions cost more than little transactions. But then the other factor is, what are you willing to pay for compute? And during periods of congestion, this is the solution. So the price of a transaction increases a little bit. And if your transaction is is for a pack of juicy fruit and it's not especially important, then you say, well, I'll put a low transaction priority on it and maybe, maybe it'll finish by tomorrow. Um, But on the other hand, if it's a very important transaction, uh, then it might be worth bidding up higher to get the priority so it gets mined in the next 15 or 30 seconds. Uh, So it's a supply and demand thing. I I personally find it quite remarkable still that for a few dollars, uh, I can publish a smart contract uh, on the Ethereum network, and there is no opex. There's there's no there's no server requirement. There's no infrastructure requirement. It needs no further help from me, uh, and it will run forever.
0: Yes, very true. Very true. It is very fascinating. Now, there's also uh, what, what, I mean. I wouldn't say it's a concern, but what is the network speed? average network speed for the transactions happening on any of the blockchain? We are not talking about any single blockchain like either Bitcoin or any other for any specific industry use. And how many transactions on an average can a blockchain process per second?
1: Well, I think one thing to, um, to, to understand here is that this blockchain stuff is never going to... Uh, perform especially well as compared to a traditional database. Uh, it's just not built for it, and um, it, it 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 won't win. But ha- having said that, um, the transactions range from the slowest being being ten, twenty, thirty thirty minutes or so uh, for a Bitcoin transaction. Uh, to millisecond uh, time scales on private systems.
0: I see. I see. Now uh, there are the majority of blockchains. I believe use proof of work. Right. I mean, in order to achieve consensus. At this point, we still see that. I mean, uh, as we discussed before, there are some uh, in emerging new ways of uh, doing uh, that consensus mechanism instead of mining. But it's still the proof they all need to achieve consensus so proof of work involves the use of computational power if uh, they go through the mining process of a machine to solve complex mathematical equations in order to verify a transaction and add it to a block now while this mechanism works well as is witnessed in uh, as we have seen in bitcoin it works really very effectively and we talked about it that it does consume a lot of energy so do you see that uh, one of the reasons why blockchain is not widely adopted, that it is that energy-consuming mechanism, that that is becoming one of the obstacle and challenges? Uh,
1: no, I do not. It's not? No, I don't think the average user is... Uh, uh, I, sorry, I have multiple things uh, flashing through my mind here. First, I don't think the average user is concerned about uh, the validation, electricity consumption, uh, for the same reason that I don't think my mom is especially concerned about the nuances of wide-area networks when she talks to me on, on Skype. My, uh, it's there, um, but she doesn't know about it. So I don't, I don't think that's the make-or-break reason why anybody uh, uses this stuff. The the second thing is that it's it's um, the 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 transaction costs and the and the power are actually not bound and there's there's no ratio there. I see. You you can you you can have ninety percent of the miners drop off because it costs more to mint a Bitcoin than to the uh, uh, you know, like electricity and then then it can crash. price it. Sense. It turn off the chains. The Bitcoin net simply. Shrink in uh, the the uh, pre work threshold for the 51% transaction.
0: I see. No, I hear you on that. Now, uh, do I mean we are, everything is moving towards a mobile platform, right? I mean, uh, smart because of the smartphones and smart uh, equipments, uh, people are trying to develop applications that. Are effective you know, on mobile as a you know, mobile application. So, do you see that there is a trend going towards building uh, smart contracts that are mobile friendly?
1: Um, that's mostly a user interface concern. So, um, not, I mean, not every application is public facing, but, but I, I would say that apps that are meant to be public facing, um, then yes. Uh, I think there's some work to do to make that stuff a little bit easier. Um, I, I I like to say that uh, this will really be user friendly when uh, when my mother can use it and not realize that she's using a blockchain and she doesn't realize that she's using Ethereum, right? When she does, you know, so when the tool stack gets a little bit more um, transparent, just kind of built in. Uh, it would be a little easier. It's, it's a little bit on the clunky side, but it, it certainly works.
0: Yes, very true, very true. So, I mean, irrespective of whether it's a private uh, blockchain or public blockchain, whether it's permissioned or permissionless, I mean, private key and uh, security and privacy, all these aspects needs to be... There needs to be education and awareness uh, for each and every uh, human, uh, you know, who is trying across nation, because if everybody is supposed to be that uh, I mean, comfortable, then, you know, the security aspects and all these uh, technical uh, understanding also needs to be part of that. So I think it will still take a time probably, you know, years before we can see that kind of widespread adoption and widespread comfort, of using this or accepting, you know, of this uh, new way of doing things. So having said that, let's move towards talking about the blockchain standards, need of blockchain standards, and what kind of concerns or complex challenges, especially the complex technical challenges, we can solve by developing blockchain standards. So from your assessment, do you see that there is a role for technical standards in supporting the global rollout of these blockchain technologies, or, you know, do you see that we have optimal technical standards and framework to support the rollout of blockchain technologies at this point?
1: I'm a big fan. I'm I'm really pleased to see the emergence of technical standards. Um, I think that the security and regulatory standards get a lot of headlines around a very narrow band of investment-related things that happen to be uh, deployed using smart contracts or or blockchain technology. Um, But as a technologist, uh, I I tend to focus more on things like, does it work? Uh, And it's very important that it works if it's an immutable piece of software and it's going to... uh, be responsible for non-trivial amounts of value or non-trivial consequences in the real world. So it needs to work. Uh, so at um, B9 Lab, in, in, in our work with students, we really try to instill a sense of conscientiousness and respect and, and caution. And uh, another company I helped uh, get started uh, called Solidified I.O. is specifically focused on quality assurance. Uh, I'm a big believer in public, transparent, uh, peer-reviewed, code review, uh, system audits, testing. Uh, the burden of proof really is on the developers to show that they have uh, adhered to all known best practices, that multiple teams have, have looked at the software and, and the software is, is fit uh, to be be trusted uh, with the purpose that it's uh, intended to be used in.
0: Yes. Very true. So from your assessment, which are the uh, top uh, five or top you know, 10 com- uh, technical problems you feel that we do need to solve using the blockchain standards?
1: problems in the world in general with blockchain or or problems that surface inside the the contracts?
0: Uh, you mean like with the the focus on defects? Sure. I mean, we are not talking only about the smart contract. We are talking about overall blockchain uh, development, implementation, acceptance, you know, anything that could, anything where uh, the technology could be a problem, that there are still some variables in technology, there are still some uh, inherent technology problems that could be preventing uh, the global acceptance or adaptability or scalability of the uh, blockchain.
1: The one that stands out in my mind mind? is not actually a technical uh, problem, but
0: rather
1: a uh, uh, there there is a a, a mindset and a Uh, best practices, uh, policy problem, uh, because it seems that, you know, over the past few decades, the world has moved more and more to a rapid release cycle and moving, you know, rapid release, move fast, be agile, break things. And it's, there's a hidden assumption that software can evolve. And I think that, uh, with certain with this type of software, certain components of this type of software cannot be upgraded later. Uh, we need approximately the exact opposite perspective. Uh, um, it's not entirely foreign. Uh, so if you look at aerospace, for example, and you, if you're putting software on a Voyager spacecraft and shooting it off into space, you know that nothing is on board unless you put it there. And you have to think in advance Including how are you gonna upgrade it, everything you have to figure it out in advance, right and it's not in it it's not exactly compatible with a mindset that wants to rush things to market Now I understand that uh there are competing business priorities right uh so I usually uh find myself stressing the need to just pause and do quality assurance.
0: yes. Yes, very, very true. There are uh, what we see as, you know, acceptance or adaptation or scalability that, you know, probably, you know, but in all of these different uh, variables or concerns, there are always some technical challenges that still needs to be figured out for people, for users, for developers, for uh, innovators, to for uh, you know, corporations to feel comfortable that it's, it will bring us effectiveness and productivity. So I I still feel that, you know, irrespective of whether it's privacy, security, interoperability, or, uh, you know, any of these uh, different variables, that there are still, you know, some things that needs to be sorted out. But having said that, what, who is telling this? There's uh, a lot
1: to sort out. Of.
0: Yeah, there's still a <laughs> lot to sort You're absolutely right. There's a lot to sort out. You're really right. So who is developing this? Uh, who is working on developing these blockchain technical standards?
1: Well, you're welcome to join in. Uh, <laughs> it, okay. Um, it, 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 there really is a bit of a, a, a meritocracy and a, a bit of, I think, uh, friendly okay. competition. competition. Uh, I think the... Generally speaking, there appears to be a bit of an immune system that will reject any individual or any organization with a, an outside sense of self-importance. Uh, and, and yet at the same time, um, there is widespread enthusiasm uh, for, for for standardizing on many things. Uh, and that can be everything from... Uh, you know, everyone understanding the uh, the anti anti patterns that everybody everybody must avoid, and good software design patterns uh, to um, getting together and normalizing on common issues like schemas for for common things, or uh, you know, how how are we going to do identity? How are we how are we going to do governance? General purpose governance, all kinds of stuff. Uh, And in many respects, uh, the the leading projects are led by people who are basically out there saying we 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 think that we might be able to build a standard to to handle one little corner of the network.
0: Yes, very very true. I mean, um, there are even if we just uh, think about security. There are so many complex challenges. I mean, how do we do effective authentication and uh, how do we ensure that security of blockchain and all its, uh, you know, irrespective of whether there are any forks or, you know, irrespective of what application it is being uh, developed on that, that we do need to come up with effective way of uh, ensuring that there is security on the each of these nodes and that uh, no data is uh, fraudulent and that uh, uh, no if if people are using it for cryptocurrency then that you know there is a legitimate uh, we didn't we do need to come up with some sort of identity control so that we know who that money belongs to because i think this anonymous Uh, way of uh, anonymity for the money who owns the money nobody knows on this uh, current crypto most of the cryptocurrency uh, platforms that we see that I think is a big security risk for each and every nation because this When we are trying to tell the common man that put your money into the cryptocurrency and if we are trying to tell them that you be your own bank, then, you know, if they don't have enough understanding about how to control or how to secure their cryptocurrency, how to make sure that their private key doesn't go into wrong hands, or that... Their computer is not hacked. You know, even now, we even for computer literate, the security is such a complex challenge. So to expect that the common man, everyone would be able to uh, protect their money in the cryptocurrency format, I think it is uh, uh, probably short-sighted and it will bring a lot of critical security challenges. So I think security is at the center of, you know, irrespective of whether it's a, we are using blockchain for cryptocurrency or we are using blockchain for uh, any other system uh, across nations, we do need to come up with an effective way of ensuring security. So do you see that we have an effective way or there are efforts emerging or initiatives emerging from across nations that are focused on ensuring the security of blockchain and all its components?
1: Well, um, as you were thinking I was, uh, story as, as you were speaking, I was, I was thinking about how um, the blockchain principle is, is, is what it is, And then the first application of the blockchain principle was currency. So you can think of the currency as a very successful uh, I've sometimes described uh, Bitcoin as a really successful science fair project. Uh, there is a demonstration of blockchain, and in my mind, uh, it's no coincidence because uh, the simple ledger of a currency system is actually the simplest application I can think of to demonstrate what blockchains really do. And uh, there, are, there are certainly concerns at the edges because, for for example, what. An institution treasury, or, or what an individual does with their retirement, is entirely different from what an individual does with, with pocket money. Uh, and some should be very easy, and some should be very easy. And if you, if, if an individual walks around with their life savings uh, in a in, in their pocket, uh, it's just trouble waiting to happen. Uh, and not everybody wants to be currently that's that's okay that's that's not what the end is is all about. Um it's it's just the uh the uh, uh on, on the business side uh, key management uh processes will go a long way to securing things. Um for for the average person uh say high networks. Uh, in, in, I mean, they were like miners in the early days. You know, uh, and just find themselves sitting on a, a large uh, stash. There, there are uh, some fairly advanced uh, processes that one can employ uh, at, at home to have to advance for things like tapping the, the key and burying the key away, and what happens if the key gets destroyed. And, all the education, it's of that nature. So it can be pretty. Bad. And, uh, really, I don't. I, I always go back to my mom. I really don't want my mom to run out and buy a whole pile of Bitcoin. I really don't want her it. responsible because uh, you know your banking is good at Uh and, and in fact, uh, an interesting move is J. Uh, P. Morgan, if I'm not mistaken, on the custody. For people with a substantial amount of cryptocurrency, uh, they could be miners, they they, they could have done fundraising through an ICO, all kinds of reasons why they have so much. Uh, uh, JP Morgan is offering a custodial service, which is basically saying, you know, back to the traditional banking system, uh, you can deposit here where it will be safe. You don't have to be you don 't have to take it because you 're not quite sure where where the product is. <sighs>
0: Yes, very true, very true. I mean, the, the point that you made that what is blockchain all about, I think that itself is, uh, you know, a one-hour discussion. Hopefully, we you know, we'll address that topic some other time. But what would you like, to, you have wor- been actively working in this field and you, uh, you have seen the strengths and weaknesses of all the initiatives. You have seen the strengths and weaknesses of the current state of blockchain. So having seen all that, having... Uh, a good understanding of what blockchain is and where it's going, what are the trends. What would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners and especially those young minds who are uh, trying to make a difference across nations to try to solve some of the complex challenges facing their nation using this very transformative technology that is blockchain?
1: Well, I would uh, really like to see more people involved in I would call it a a societal level discussion, not just technologists, not just politicians, uh, not just, but but everyone. uh, Start thinking about the implications of technologies such as uh, immutable data and unstoppable logic. And just exactly how do we think things should be. Should be structured. What is the the ethical and proper application of this technology? Um, uh, I should say, you know, uh, most people can agree. You know, privacy for me, transparency for thee, but that will that will never work. So, how are we going to reconcile uh, le- legitimate uh, individual libertarian sort of concerns with practical uh, law enforcement legitimate concerns and a whole pile of other concerns that need to be solved in terms of um, prioritization of society wants. Because a a lot of um, construction oriented questions start with what exactly are we trying to build? This is basically the machine in society that we're all going to end up living inside. So I think we should talk about that. uh, for those thinking of getting into it, uh, I would say getting into blockchain is, uh, difficult, uh, and, uh, there's considerably more demand for professionals and talent. It's so difficult, uh, to get into this. And, and, uh, to the kick, which is the boot camp, uh, with being the lab. Uh, they do both developer and, uh, professional strategic level training, uh, for decision makers who may be responsible for a budget, or R&D or organization, uh, and, uh, and, and also from a hiring standpoint that, uh, this, this stuff is, this stuff is volatile stuff, uh, it, it Other safety-oriented industries have learned to treat hazardous uh, materials. So I would say, please do recognize uh, developer certifications from organizations like B9 Lab. And no matter what you do, if you want to experiment at home, if you want to build it yourself, that's okay, too. (laughs) But Get all your relatives to pitch in and buy a security audit.
0: Very, very, you know, good points and good suggestion and good advice, forward-looking. So thank you so much, Rob, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on the complex challenges facing blockchain uh, initiatives, applications, and technical standards. And our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the understanding you provided on the technology gaps and vulnerabilities that needs to be effectively addressed for blockchain to be widely adopted. And even if a single blockchain initiative benefits from the discussion we had today, this Risk Roundup dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Wonderful, Rob. So Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology convergence and transformation happening across cyberspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it's not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the Risk Roundup, to watch the Risk Roundup webcast or hear the Risk Roundup podcast, please go to riskgrouplc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jay Shree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.